Viewer discretion is advised. Walt Disney had to start somewhere. Stan Lee had to start somewhere. George Lucas had to start somewhere. Why can't I start in New Zealand in a garage? Mandate. Welcome to Mandate, where we navigate fresh perspectives and nothing's off the table. Tonight's guest hails all the way from West Tamaki Makoto. He is the CEO and the founder of Freshman's True, our crew, our dance crew, but also he is a, a radio host, MC, musician. He's the regional manager of Zeal and, um, and West, and also the, the, who do a lot of good work with our Rangatahi. Also, he's um, he's also, I guess you could say, businessman, hey, entrepreneur, kind of real. Yeah, entrepreneur, yeah. yeah, I guess entrepreneur, so. Entrepreneur, businessman, and also um, back in the days, uh, amazing dance crew called SAS, Sweden Sours, mm-hmm. uh, Sweden Sour, um, who were world hip hop champs. Please give it up for the incredibly talented Hads Hadley Bowesi. Thank you, brother. It's great to be here, man. We might all love also. Hey, good to see you. Uh, it's been a, been a while, Hads. Been a long time, yeah, bro. Been a long time. And I know you do some amazing work right now and oh, and for, for ages. And so just um, if you can just, just, I don't know, I guess just give us a bit of insight of what you've been up to um, lately. Because I know you're doing some amazing stuff in terms of this new musical coming out called Pacifica. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes. I, I mean, I guess for, for those who, who don't know me, um, I, I kind of consider myself a professional juggler. You know, I, I do a whole lot of different things. And uh, on one side, my community arm, like you said, you know, working out West Auckland and running a youth centre out there. Um in my creative space, it's it's more around dancing and choreography, and and now getting into musicals and shows, and yeah, just a, just a whole lot of different things. I I, I just don't, uh, I, I I get bored quite easy, so I try and fill my time and and space with things that are, are productive. Oh, awesome! Uh, just to, we can just touch base a little bit earlier before the the whole thing with SAS mm. and all that kind of stuff and all the, the amazing work you've you've done and accomplished. And so, what were you like? Because I want to know. I don't think I've asked you, um, Heads, what were you like in the, back in the younger days? Oh, in the younger <laughs> days. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the wonder years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I actually, you know, my work with Sweet and Sour was, was kind of the thing that put, uh, me into uh, somewhat of a public space uh, and before that I was I was a league player and so it was rugby league was kind of my thing and and going through school I went to school to play league and I, I tried to stay in school so I could keep playing league and uh, it wasn't until my last year in high school that uh, I was introduced to dance and so uh, before yeah before Sweden Sour and before all of that it was it was all about sports um, and it was yeah I it was it was it was an interesting kind of space growing up. I, I, I think I was quite an introvert, and I still am a, a bit of an introvert. But back then, it took it took time for me to uh, kind of understand how to use social skills. Um, and so, yeah, kind of growing up, it was it was I was the awkward heads who just liked playing rugby league. Wow. Yeah. And you would never think that because you're quite um. You, I guess you're quite, you're quite opinionated. You're quite vocal as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's. And so, and it seems like there's a, there's some sort of mana leadership qualities about you also. And so, was it like you were saying you were quite awkward kind of growing up? Was that always something that was installed and or embedded in you? Or was it something that kind of you had as a process in terms of learning to be a, a some sort of leader? Yeah, I, I felt like there's there's been some key times that I've had to unlock different things, you know. And and I'm, I stand here today, understanding that I've got a 
a mentor of leadership, you know, and, and that I'm, I'm good when I'm in spaces of leadership. Um, but it, it's been a skill that has been tested and crafted over time. It's definitely not something that I was born with. Um, like I said, like I, I'm naturally kind of a little bit more introverted. I, I keep my circle really, really close. Um, and if, if it was up to me, I'd, I'd I'd be sitting at home watching TV and, and not talking to anybody, but uh, I understand how to utilize the skills of, of talking and, and being able to muster people together. Um, yeah, so, and that's kind of what has led me into a space of leadership. Mean, mean, mm. mean. And it's so interesting coming, you know, you mentioned the focus on rugby league and then shifting to dance, which seem like completely opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> so I'm curious about what was it about dance? Was there sort of, some seeds that were planted early in, li in mm. life that sort of made you think, oh, actually, I can pick this up really quickly. Uh -huh. um, or was it sort of a natural talent thing? Or, or Definitely not a natural talent <laughs> thing. Definitely. I'm, I'm not a natural dancer. Uh, there, there were these two kind of spaces that stand out as pivotal moments for me. Uh, when I was really young, man, this is showing my age, but there used to be this festival called Parachute Festival. Uh, and it was like the gospel festival, you know, it was the gospel festival that uh, happened once a year. And... Uh, my first parachute festival was at Matamata, which is really showing my age. Only a certain, uh, only a certain generation will remember parachute from Matamata. Uh, but I was lucky enough at 13, I, I went to my first parachute and it was like my first music festival. Really, it was kind of like my first time away from my parents, uh, first time out of Auckland. And I found myself like not really knowing where I was. I, I went down with my church, but um, it was a Palangi church and uh, parachute is predominant a, a Palangi festival really and I was like man I, I want to find my people I want to find where, where are the brown brothers at <laughs> and then hidden away in the corner hidden away in the corner there's there was a stage called the massive stage and the massive stage is where all the islanders were that's where all the hip-hop and R&B uh, gospel artists were and so I found my way there and I sat down and it kind of just introduced me to this whole world of, of performing arts uh, and Pacific performing arts, you know, and, and there were people like, uh, I remember Laau or Styx uh, or Lanzwao as he goes by now. Um, he was the MC and I was like astonished, like, wow, this guy's amazing. And and that kind of set the seeds of, of me wanting to be a host for different shows. Um, and then I, I saw Jaira. And Jaira for, again, showing my age, but Jaira was the first uh, New Zealand street dance team. But they did street dance, hip-hop dance, break dance, um, but also were amazing singers. Vintada was in there, like all of my heroes. And I remember looking up on stage, especially at Vince, um, and, and seeing how great he was at singing, and then he was able to flip. And I was like, there's someone like me who can do all of this and it really instilled a, a bit of a fire inside of me like if they can do it I can do it uh, and then get back to Auckland you get back to reality get back to rugby league you forget about that and then in my last year of high school they uh, announced that there was going to be like auditions for the dance team and I'm sitting there with the first 13 and oh bro you can't audition now you can't audition and my competition my competition mind bro I can audition I can do that that's easy and so that took me into a space just as kind of a deer. Go and audition, got through. Oh, this is pretty cool. Then I remember about when I was 13 years old and, oh, that's what these guys were doing. And man, maybe I could be like a Vince Haro. I could be like all of these people that I really looked up to. And that was, that's what set me on the pathway to dance. 
Wow. That was such a long story. Sorry. No, no, no. no, 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 no. Okay, okay. So I always, I always wanted to ask you, Armstead. Like, how did you start it? How did you start Armstead? Yeah. Like, that's that's a yeah. So Sweden Sour. Uh, for those who remember Sweden Sour, there, there yeah. is a there is a generation that still holds Sweden Sour uh, close to heart. Um, the the real story is that there were two people. There were two guys, David and Fender. They're our youngest. Uh, they were the youngest members of Sweden Sour. The story goes that they were sitting in their business studies class and they were trying to pass the time and they said, if you could make a dream team of like the best dance crew from everybody at Calston Boys, because I, I went to Calston Boys, we all went to Calston Boys, who would be like the top eight? And they wrote down on there like, you know, you just do this when you don't want to listen to the teacher. They wrote down a list of the top eight and then that list was like, man, maybe we should ask that top eight if they want to be a, in a dance crew. And so back then it was Bebo, you get the message, bro, do you want to be in a dance crew? I'm like, do you want to be in a dance crew? Like I'm, I'm at that time I had finished high school. I don't want to be a, in a dance crew. I'm, I'm living my life, you know? And, and as someone who uh, I see as a big role model, I, I kind of went to them and said, bro, these guys, they told me to be in a dance crew, laughing about it. And he goes, oh, bro, I think you should do it. And it's probably from from that kind of someone that I really looked up to, kind of going like, "Man, I think you should do it. This could be really cool," you know. And so I, I entertained it. Went to the first rehearsal, which was at um, Fender, the guy who made the list. It was at his his house. Went to the first rehearsal, and it was just a bunch of boys sitting around playing PlayStation. Really, there was no no dancing. It was just like us kind of chilling out. And then um, the mum came home. Fender's mum came home with a tray of sweet and sour. <laughs> oh i thought you boys were practicing you guys just want me to get you food and and so you know we eat the food and then oh no we'll do a rehearsal tomorrow same thing happens she comes in with her tray of sweets oh man you guys aren't even a dance crew you're not even training you just want the food so much so that it just became that our name was sweet and sour because that's what we ate after every rehearsal wow and yeah <laughs> yeah so it's really by luck we didn't at that time number one boys didn't really dance uh number two there was no platforms to dance you know at that time there was no national championships there was no world championships we just loved you got served uh and and there was a dance competition at school um that everybody kind of got involved with but outside of that there was no pathways there was no platforms so we were just kind of lucking our way through wow yeah Man. That's crazy because it seems like you, you really, you, pretty much you guys pioneered the way in terms of changing the game. Um, a little um, bit, yeah. a little bit. There was a crew before us and I, I got to give credit where credit is due. Um, Desire are the, oh, the originals. Yeah, and, and so Desire are the ones that actually, they, they're the ones that opened the, the pathway. They are from uh, Otara and they got themselves over to LA to the world championships. And I think the first year they went, they came eighth. Then they went back a second time and they came second. And that, you know, New Zealand, we we uh, we're a competitive bunch, but also when there's when there's a goal and when when Desire comes back with a silver medal, if they can do it, we can do it. Yeah. And then as a country, we've been going back for uh, I reckon close to fifteen years now. That's what that's what has started my career. It's what then catapulted Paris's career and 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 so on and so forth. Uh, cause if you if you could turn back time, I'm heads. Did you ever like in your wildest imaginations? You've man, this is this is gonna blow up. This, you know, never. It's gonna lead me to all these other other avenues. Never, never, especially in dance. So after school, um, when my rugby league career 
dried up um, really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, who, you, who were you playing for at the time? Oh, Glenora, Glenora. Oh, Glenora and yeah, yeah. then uh, after school, you know, we got we got kind of shoulder tap to do some stuff in, in Oz and but it, it, yeah nah it wasn't it wasn't I've learned really quickly it wasn't the life for me um but I, I wanted to be a singer you know so music was music has been a big thing in my family uh my grandfather was was a, a composer um and so yeah I wanted to get into music and so this dance thing was like oh I don't want to be a dancer. I'm going to be a singer. You know, you guys are going to dance for me. Those kinds of things. And then um, once I once I started doing it, I just fell in love with it. It was because because it's artistic. You can still have your real creative freedom, but it was physical. And so what I loved about being a rugby league player, I could then apply in art. Yeah, mean mean. Man, that's crazy. Um, one of the classic things about um that year when you guys went to Worlds, was the, the mix that you guys danced to. I heard that you <laughs> pieced it all together. Yeah, yeah. So my my whole thing really is uh, dance mixes. I, I've, I've always loved, uh, you know, I used to, sorry, I'm jumping all over the place. No, all good, all good, man. When I was little, uh, <laughs> but I'm just exposing my age time and time again. When I was little, I loved hearing remixes, but I didn't know how to make them. And so I'd have like this tape recorder and you know, you would, you would tape the radio. You would hope that the DJ didn't like talk over the beginning of the song or my FM and you'd, you'd have to kind of edit it out. And so I would try and make these mixtapes, but make it sound like a DJ was doing it. And my, my trademark, eh, my trademark was there was a city high song. Uh, what would you do if you saw it? And then at the end of it, it goes like, hold up. And then it goes into like this remix. So I would always like hold up and change the, and then bring in another song. Bro, I thought I was the mean DJ. But that kind of, that little, I guess, experience um, opened my world into music mixing. And so mixing for dance crews, um, being able to mix for artists and their live shows, being able to do some mixing for television. Um, yeah, I just, I, I love, I love anything kind of creative around that space too. Wow. Man. And now you've started the Freshman or crew, dance crew. And so how's that get with all these young youngins coming in and all this new talent that's, that's um, coming in? Yeah, it's, it's been, we actually, it seems like it's new, but we're, we're actually celebrating our 10th year this year. Wow, yeah. 10 years. Yeah, so I think when Sweden Sour wrapped up, um, like we won the world championships, which was amazing. Uh, but we, for me anyway, I stood on that podium and I was like, now what? Like we've achieved our, our lifetime goal. We've achieved it in a year. We won, we won the gold medal one year after starting. And so I was like, there must be more or do we just retire? We did a couple of tours and we went around the world went to Africa, went to back and forth to LA and it was, it was fun, but it wasn't paying the bills. And so when Sweden Sour wrapped up, uh, I thought, okay, well, my dancing days are over. But then I, I saw other dancers go in that cycle as well, that they go to the world championships, they either win or they don't win, they retire at like 20. I'm like, bro, there has to be more. There has to be more to life in dancing than just going to the space. And so I thought, oh, well, what if I was, I, I've been there, I've done that, maybe I can mentor or, or find a new path. And so Fresh started as a way to get young people through the normal route, but then extend onto that route and try and unlock um, careers as dancers. 
and Paris has done this. Paris Global has done this at an amazing level. But there just wasn't enough opportunities there. And I, I looked over to the contemporary dance scene and there's, there's, in the contemporary dance scene, you could actually be a dancer full-time. That could be your job. And I'm like, how come we can't do that for hip hop? And so it's taken 10 years, but now we're employing dancers just to be in the crew. Their job is to come to rehearsal. Their job is to go and do gigs. Um, their job is to travel around the world. Their job is to, to, to do what they love. And so that was the whole kind of, let's start fresh to create a fresh pathway for, for young dancers so they can reap the fruit that we were never able, they, they're able to reap the fruit from the seeds that we were sowing ages ago. And so our, our, val our vision statement for Fresh is to be um, a home for artists and a waka for stories. So there's two kind of things in that, that we want to make sure that artists feel it's, it's not just them building into us, but us building into them, that there's a, a two-way relationship there and that we can tell our Pacific stories to the world. We've been able to create the home and I think over the next couple of years, we really want to get our stories out to the world. Wow, that's oh. crazy. It's so crazy. I love the fact you, you are telling the stories. Because, you know, some people just kind of get up and they just do a, a dance mm. and a routine. It's like, oh, that's nice. But I love the fact that you that every dance that you, the routine that you guys get together and do is actual uh, actual story, a backdrop of For what's real. happening here and, and Pacific stories. And so wh why the Pacific stories? Is it just something that you just like, you know, because we're Pacific, let's just do it. Yeah, I think it's something that I learned with Sweden Sour. So when we went over, when we went over, um, for our first time at the World Championships, they thought we were a rugby team. Because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a big guy. I, I don't fit the mold of a dancer. And all of our guys are the same size. And so we're walking through and be, oh, all blacks, all blacks, you know, taking photos with us. And then we go up and we can dance. And it was, we realized that we've got something really different that the rest of the world don't have, but the rest of the world want, you know? And, and to have something from this little island at the bottom of the world and then be able to go to, LA and do stuff and go over to Africa and do stuff, go to Australia and do stuff. And that there's an audience there. We realize that like, they're not getting us cause we're good. They're getting us because we have something that nowhere else has Paris. Again, I keep saying her name, but Paris Goebel has realized that and has taken it to a whole nother level. Um, but that's kind of, yeah, that's, that's what has kind of shaped what we do. Yeah. Wow, wow. We know that we've, as, as Pacific people, we've got a story to tell. Uh, I think that we just downplay our story so much. You know, I think that we downplay the value of our of our tales. And, and there was something that I said in, in another media thing that 2016 Moana proved that our Pacific stories hold global value. Uh, and, and I'm not really settled at just having one Disney movie. I'm, I'm keen for us to be out there and telling our stories ongoing. Yeah, mean, mean. Man, that's awesome. And speaking of stories, what's been sort of some of the nuggets you've had to kind of step outside of the box to discover um, as part of collecting these stories and rediscovering some of these stories? Yeah, I mean, so we've got one show that's that's coming up. Um, we're actually putting on a show for at the Kiritakanoa Theatre, which is, which is the Aotea Centre. And that show is about uh, Maui. And so... I was researching Maui and, and it's this big nostalgia trip because, you know, growing up we get told these stories and then once you get to intermediate, you forget about them. And I'm like, man, there must be a reason why these stories have been passed down from generation to generation to generation, but now they've just been kind of 
put together as folktale, you know, fairy tales for the Pacific, but there must be greater stories. And so you dive into them and you you dig into that uh, Maui isn't just a Maori character, but there's there's traces of Maui throughout the Pacific. It's like, man, this is this actually holds a little bit of weight. You go and do some research and you revisit the stories and you're like, man, we've had this gem in our back pocket since primary school and we forget that we hold this we forget that we own this and um yeah it's kind of just it's it's cool to be able to go and revisit a lot of things that you know but you you think that the whole world has it but it's, it's really just special it's a special tonga for new zealand and, and for the pacific um another kind of unraveling is really just understanding who we are for me i've, I've grown up in the diaspora so um it's given me an opportunity to dive into my culture it's given me an opportunity to go back to Samoa it's given me an opportunity to go back to uh my whānau in Taranaki and dive into like what it means to be Samoan and Māori and and then hopefully go to our cast and go if you're Tongan like go and dive into your 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 Tongan heritage go and dive into your Hawaiian heritage your Cook Island heritage because there's gems and everything but because we've grown up in the diaspora maybe we haven't ha been afforded that opportunity to look there first. So, yeah, that's again, yeah, another no. long answer, but no, no, that's, no, yeah, that's that's awesome. unraveling heaps of stuff, man. Yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. And one of the things I was curious about, I know you did Manamuana, yes. the Manamuana program. Yeah. I, I did a snippet of it as part of my internship last year, and I thought it was amazing. Cool. But you would have done the full, was, was it a year? I actually graduate next week. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, well, because cool. of, of the... um. The lockdowns, everything's been pushed back. So yeah, I've done a year of mana moana. Man, that's yeah. awesome. What's that experience been like for you just to like help contextualize, you know, your own upbringing, you know, some of those, these experiences yeah. you've been exploring yourself? It's come really timely. And I guess people who don't know what mana moana is, there's, there's this organization called Leadership New Zealand and they work with developing the top leaders in New Zealand. Um, and mana moana is uh, an offshoot from that that was designed by... Um, by uh, Kalo, which, who is uh, an amazing poet, um, Pacific poet. She is top tier. Um, but she designed uh, an, a Pacific version of Leadership New Zealand. And so we work with, they work with Pacific leaders to, to train them up and how to stand in mana in their Pacific, um, in, in, in their Pacificness. And so I, I've, a lot of my role models have gone through it in previous years and um, they recommended me to do the last cohort it is it's just been timely it's been timely that as i'm coming into um spaces of leadership and uh i guess stepping into the public eye and different things that i i am able to you know stand strong and be confident in my bloodline through the pacific you know be able to call out call out bullshit when I see it when it's when there's systemic racism that that comes our way and and be able to yeah just just be able to speak on behalf of our people yeah so it's been it's been really timely um and I've, I've made some really good connections uh with other Pacific leaders there's some amazing Pacific people out there man and and I'm, I'm honored to be on one of the people that have gone through that Manamoana program 
Yeah, man. Yeah, how, how important is it, Hads, like for, for men in general or Pacific men and uh, Maori men? Like you said, you talked about the stories and, and ch- capturing those stories and retelling those stories through dance and, and, mm. and different mediums. How important is it for us as, as men? Because it seems like there's a bit of a reawakening, um, Hads. Uh-huh. People are trying, trying to figure out the history and diving into the history. How important is it for us as Pacific and Maori men to really kind of grasp the, the, the knowledge and the history of of our roots i think i think that uh mainstream is understanding the value that our indigenous people have had the whole time and unfortunately that uh through colonization you know they've buried those gems and i think it's important that we we have we can access those gems whenever we want because it's in our blood however we don't especially other people like me who have grown up in the diaspora they've, they've grown up disconnected from their culture um, it's important it's so important to go and reconnect the what the reason why how do I say this I was on a tour of in Samoa um, in 2015 and they put me on the radio and they're like oh what village are you from and I said oh I'm from Malua Fall Malua Fall isn't a village Malua Fall is an area in town but I always grew up thinking, being told Malua Falls where you're from, Malua Falls where you're from. And so the radio uh, host was like, oh, no, what village are you from? Oh, Malua Falls. No, what village are you from? And all I knew was what I've been told. And it it made me realise that there's been such a, a, a disconnect throughout generations that none of my family actually knew where we were from. And so to be presented with this kind of challenge to me I saw it as a challenge I have to find a way to connect back to my village not just for me but for my whole family because we're going to get disconnected if, if this carries on from generation to generation and so I came home and I told my dad dad do you know that you're not from like our house is in Malua Fall but our our village we don't know where our village is and so that that dove into um the whole Samoan side and I told, told my mom and she was like yeah yeah well <laughs> You, you know, us Maoris know where we're from. We're from Ngāti Rua Nui. And I was like, yeah, man, Ngāti Rua Nui, all good. And then I look it up again. Mum, I don't think we're from Ngāti Rua Nui. I th- <laughs> and, and it came that the iwi that we had been, you know, that we would fuck a papa back to actually wasn't our iwi. But through the disconnect of space and the disconnect of time and through our generations being really disconnected through our culture and our traditions, we've lost our identity and so for me I'm really on a path that is connect with your culture on both sides not for me but for my kids and for my family and so my mom can be connected to her iwi and my dad can be connected to his village because if I don't do it like this is this is a I've been given a challenge and if I put this challenge down I don't know what generation's going to pick it up next and so it's it's been a massive journey man and it's you know, I hold, I understand that I hold a space as a Pacific leader and then having to, being a Pacific leader and then going and signing up to a beginner's language course and just being like, bro, you got to get the ego out because I have to start from the beginning just like everybody else, you know, and, but it's been a beautiful journey, man. It's been a beautiful journey trying to, trying to learn uh, my language on both sides and trying to reconnect with my family on both sides, reconnect, um, uh, I guess, 
redeem some past hurts, generational past hurts and generational trauma that's gone along and try and fill in the gaps of these stories that get told from generation to generation of of, of different things that have happened. It's been a trip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been a trip. Well, this, I think this, I think a lot of people can relate to that. Um, had I think in terms of identity, you talk about identity and and reliving or trying to rehashing the the you know, our culture and, and so forth. And a lot of people don't know. Okay, I'm, I'm Samoan, but I don't know. Like you're saying, I don't know my village. I don't know how to speak Samoan. I don't mm. know um, Tangata all that kind of stuff. And it is. I think it's quite important for us to kind of get back into our roots. Do you think it's it's you know, and I think you've heard it before, um, and I don't know, Jay, is it because there's a lot of issues that, that our young men are facing, even older men that are happening in our, especially in our own communities? Mm. Do you think it's got to do with a lot of it? It's got to do with identity and the lack of identity and knowing who you are. Yeah, yeah. Because if you don't know your identity, you're going to latch onto things that look like you but aren't quite you. You know, and so we see, um, man, I've I've latched onto the hip hop culture as a culture i've latched onto the hip-hop culture because it looks like me they share very similar struggles to me their houses look like my houses their skin looks like my skin but it's not quite me you know so it, it's it fits 80 percent, but it's that 10 percent, that that 20 percent that doesn't quite fit that I, I need to find that and i can only find that in my blood i can only find that in my dna through my family through the stories that are told uh as we get more generations removed to where we're from, it's harder to connect back to the land. I still haven't been able to connect to my village, which I've, I've now learned is Sapapali'i, you know, and, and I want to be able to connect there so my family can reconnect so that when I have kids, they can reconnect, you know, and that they don't have to just look for something that looks like them, but they can look for something, that they have something that is them. And so I, I, I do see, sorry, that's, that's such a long way around your, no, your no, question. No, 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 I, love um, it. I love it, Hans, it's awesome. But the, what I see as a youth worker, I see, I see kids who are disconnected from their culture, I see kids who are disconnected from their families, and I see kids who are just disconnected. You know, they don't know who they are. And so I'm going to do what I see other people that look like me do. And I'm, I'm going to hope, I'm going to shoot in the dark and hopefully I find something. Unfortunately, more times than not, it, it ends up not not fulfilling that void. Wow, man. man. Yeah, I was, I was actually going to touch on, um, you know, there's been some recent issues with um, yeah. some ram raids and, and things <laughs> like that. And I know, I know you've sort of talked a little bit about that, um, but I was just curious for those who maybe haven't seen um, what you've shared on that, maybe just some of your thoughts. Mm. Uh, you've shared some of them already, but just any other thoughts you might have on that? Yeah, you know, it's... Um, it's it's ram raids have been happening for a long time you know it wasn't until the ram raids happened at the bottom of queen street at a very very posh couple oh. of shops that it became national news you know it wasn't until it was a a, a, a posh uh, a posh mall that it's like oh now it's a problem you know we've been the kids have been doing ram raids for years um Social media has has played a massive part in the popularization of it. I, I think gang culture has done a, a big part in the popularization of it. But for me, I, I look at what I can, what I what I see on the ground. I see that young people have been locked in their houses for two years. Uh, I see that there's been a massive disconnect on soft skills and social growth. 
because everything, every interaction is through Zoom. Every interactions with a mask. Every interact and and don't get me wrong, man. I'm, 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 I'm not uh, anti-vax or anything. I'm pro. I was doing the videos and everything, but I I understand that there's gonna be residue that will come from decisions that have been made, and we're seeing that now. The um the gap between the haves and the have-nots is just getting further and further and further and further apart. I look at uh, something that I said on the news was like. When I was growing up, the goal was always to like have a family, own your home, own your own house, you know, and 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 live the dream. That dream's impossible. That dream is is impossible now. You have to do some really like you have to be in the top one percent to be able to own your own home as a young person. And so, what kind of hope does that instill to our generation of young people coming up? Why are we putting? Why are we slogging away at school? Why are we doing all of this stuff to? Like why? There's no hope. There's no hope because the the gap has gone so so big. And so when I see young people going out and and doing these ram raids, I I get it. I get it because the it's just moved the starting line so far back. We don't start at the same place. We're not starting this race at the same place. Our generation didn't start at the same place. Imagine what this generation's going through. And so I, I get it. I, I but for me though, it is. I was able to get through some really tough times growing up because of uh, programs that focused on prevention instead of recovery. And so whether it's a dance crew or whether it's a sports team or whether it's a, whether it's an arts program, it's prevention. Um, because there's, there's these positive methods of engagement that also have positive role models attached to it. But we keep on throwing money as a country, we keep on throwing money at recovery. We keep on throwing um, money at at being the ambulance at the bottom of the hill. I think Butterbean on your podcast mm. said the police car at the bottom of the hill. It's too true, man. And I was having a chat to the brother, and and he was saying like, you know, it's a hundred hundred thousand dollars to put a young person into into um, jail. What if we were to flip that on its head and give a hundred thousand dollars to families to really you know set themselves up so they don't end up in jail? Mm. Damn! Wow. <laughs> That's um, that, that's that's quite deep. Um, ads, and you're right. Those those ram rates have been going on for for some time now, mm. and it seems like it's kind of it's real massive now. It's, it's been kind of amplified on on the news, and yeah, and people are saying this and that, and there's a lot of different views around the ram rates, and and it seems like it's always our our people, our kids, our our boys who are mm. who are uh, involved in it, and obviously some of the ram ram rates they, they're just taking. Clothes and food. Yeah, they're not even taking the money. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, what, what are your thoughts? Because you, you, you said you said it's like it seems like there's a bit of hopelessness for our, our young people. How do we? Where do we even start to try and change the the mindset or just uh, our people in terms of how do we? Or even our men, more so our men. Like, mm. how do we as, as as adults help our our young men to? really flip the script like you were saying yeah uh if i knew the answers then i'll I'll be singing those answers from the mountaintops for for me though it's i i can only speak of my experience and when i grew up you know we, we grew up in calston which is for west auckland that's that's it's a pretty tough area you know low decile low uh, socioeconomic uh community but we knew how to celebrate we knew how to celebrate success you know, and there was 
we would we would strive for excellence and we would celebrate the successes of the people around us which gave us pride in our community when there's pride in the community there's ownership over the community when there's ownership of the community you're not going to ram raid your own community you know and so there was for me how do we instill pride how do we give young people ownership over their communities and how do we as pacific men teach that it's okay to celebrate success that it's okay to be successful to be ambitious to go for your goals no matter how ambitious those goals are how do we get into that conversation yeah mm. that's so cool and it's actually like from listening to your podcast because i'm a big fan uh <laughs> hey, we're big fans. It, it tends the conversation always goes back to our relationship as pacific and maori people with humility that seems to be the ongoing trend is that our relationship with humility and maybe what we've been brought up with has been a very warped idea of humility that being humble isn't about downplaying your skills and downplaying your dreams being humble is understanding that we're all in this together however what if we're all winning together you know what if we're all doing great things together um i'm really not a fan of us and i understand why because we've, we've been systemic racism has and colonization has put us into a space where we are the underdog but i want to live in a world where pacific people aren't the underdog that we don't play that story anymore but we're the ones leading the pack we're not the charity case anymore but we're the ones who are going out there like that we have a pacific prime minister that we have a pacific mayor that we have and we've had a couple of uh candidates of uh pacific mayors on the show eh? uh but that we're having our our pacific men and women being in spaces of excellence that match how good we are on the rugby field. You know, there's there's so many spaces that aren't allowed for us. And so I'd, I'd really like for to be in a world where we can we can have a conversation where we're no longer the charity case. Nice. That's so good, man. Man, that's awesome. Um, <clears throat> so inspiring. Yeah, it just really makes me think about, um, you know, you're talking about uh, the sort of, the gap between the haves and the have-nots. Mm. And that's something I'm really interested in um, in terms of the impact on education yeah. and being able to bridge that gap. Um, and I always just find it really fascinating about how, you know, you talked about um, ram raids have been happening for a while, but once they hit, you know, yeah. the, then Lower the, that, was where the, that was where the line was drawn. It was like, yeah, it was yeah. fine before, but now they've gone too far. Yeah. Um, and so it's just fascinating to hear your perspective on identity and taking pride in the community. It's something I'm, I'm really blessed to, stay in Otara and, and be able to witness some of that community yep. pride taking place. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to give props and second that total call. That, that's, that's awesome. Cheers, bro. Yeah, man, that's so cool. Because it is, oh, man, because it, it, you're right. It seems to be a reoccurring theme in terms of humility. Um, yeah. Heads and, and so and we were talking about it the other day and you said it, you said it 100, 100%, I, I agree. Imagine our communities with men or even our nation of, of men who is like striving to do some great things, our Pacific mm -hmm. and Maori men striving together and lifting each other up. Yeah. And it just seems like, and I think you did a, a, a dance routine about tall poppy syndrome. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a yeah, long yeah, time yeah, ago. Yeah. yeah. It's about 20 kgs ago. No, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tall, tall poppy syndrome. But even of that, even like, even though we, we kind of say we, we're, we're humble, we're, we're, there's a humility there. But even when we try to put ourselves out there, heads, yeah, we're mm. trying to, like, I'm going to get out there and going to do my thing. That somehow, sometimes our people can be the worst in yeah. terms of enemies, instead yeah. of dragging us down. And so I'm just wondering, has there ever been a time where uh, your, our people have done that to you? Yeah, yesterday. No. <laughs> 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 
they were still doing it. That's a start. <laughs> oh man, you know we've like you said before, like we've just launched a show called Pacifica. You know, we're we're going into rehearsals and we're in the Civic Theatre for for two weeks, and you know we get this great like oh this is amazing this is amazing then I, I always just look in the comment section eh? you learn really quickly don't look in the comment section yeah. but I was like oh, I have a look and then you see yeah who do you guys think they are you know ripping off our Pacific culture and it's like oh man okay yeah we're back here again mm. and it's um, I look back to when we started with with uh, Sweden Cell I don't want to keep on going back to the glory days but um at that time, it was okay to dream that big because everybody around us was dreaming that big. We had people like um, the Loaki brothers and, you know, Paddy Arvan, the Signola brothers, like people doing amazing things in rugby that were unashamedly like, I want to be the best in the world. We were at school with the Specifics boys, who, again, showing our age, but, you know, a great band that wanted to go and change the world. Then we're a dance crew and yeah, man, we want to be the world champions and we could speak this language. Yo, you're going to be the best band in the world. We're going to be the best dance crew in the world. You guys are going to be all blacks. You guys are going to be Kiwis. And it's not like tearing down, but like, bro, we're all in this together. We're all going to be great. We're all going to be the world champions in whatever, in whatever craft that we choose. But because that conversation was so fluid, it happened because you don't have to deal with anything else. And I look around, you know, we're working in schools now and we're working in, in communities and I don't see that conversation happening. I don't see that conversation where, bro, you want to be the best in the world? I believe in you. I back you because I want to be the best in the world here. I'd say like, I, I still kind of hold it in like, one of my dreams is to be up there with Walt Disney. Walt Disney had to start somewhere. Stan Lee had to start somewhere. George Lucas had to start somewhere. Why can't I start in New Zealand in a garage? People here then like, oh, gee. I'm like, nah, bro, why, why can't I? Why is that such a taboo thing to think highly, to, to have ambition? Because if, if I can succeed, then we can all succeed. But it's until somebody actually succeeds that everybody's then on the bandwagon. Right, everybody's on Taika's bandwagon. Mm. Yo, Taika's oh, the man, Taika's the man. Yeah, but at what point did you start supporting him? Was it until he got Thor? Or were you supporting him when he was making like these little vampire short movies, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Bro, that's weird. You know, it's not until somebody actually cracks it until our community backs them. And so ideally that we can get into a space of changing that narrative. That, and, and I'm not sitting here thinking that I'm perfect, bro. I take part in the... And the back talk as well. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But I have to pull myself up. So the, yeah. the piece that you're talking about, yeah, we did in 2015, I think we did a piece uh, for the Pacific Dance Festival called Tall Poppy. And the way that that came out, I remember I was at a bar and I was talking to a friend and um, again, man, for the bloody fifth time on this podcast, Paris Goebel had just posted that I can now do, I can pick and choose what I want to do. Um, I've got into a space in my career where I'm I'm not having to do what I'm told, but I can do what I want. And I hated that. I was like, oh, why can't I do that? Oh, she shouldn't be able to do that. And I had to pull myself up. At, in the middle of the bar, I had to pull myself up and go, how dare you? How dare you speak ill of this person who is doing the amazing things that you, you just, you're speaking ill because you want to do what she's doing. That should be inspiration. And, and in that conversation, the self-conversation, 
it was like, man, I need to, I need to tell this story. I need to tell this story that us as a community, we've gotten so used to, it's just becoming the norm that we talk about each other. We have to pull it back. And so it's not something that I'm perfect with because I, I take part in it as well, but it's, it's definitely something that's holding our people back from actually being great. You know, they, we look at mainstream and we look at Balangi stuff and we like, we, we feed on us being the underdog, but we create, we make ourselves the underdog a lot of the times because yeah. you know, we keep pulling ourselves down. It's so. crazy. It is, it is crazy. And it's, it's really sad uh, because, you know, it's kind of like it goes hand in hand. Um, has, you know, you, there's the humility and then there's also like now tall poppy syndrome. Yeah. You yeah, know, man. Just, man. Sorry. It's an interesting dynamic, eh? Um, and it's funny how like being the underdog can create this competitive environment. Yeah. It's like everyone wants to, be, for some reason we get it in our heads that there's not enough for all of us to achieve success. Yeah. That success is only limited to first in, first serve kind of thing. And if someone mm. gets there before us, then we're, you know, it, it irks us a bit. Yeah. And um, it sort of makes me think about how, you know, growing up roasting in the family was just something we did. And then um, from that, it sort of escalates to like, we see other people doing stuff, trying to do yeah. stuff. And, you know, we, we shoot them down before they ever get a chance. And it's, it's, it's crazy how something we grow up with it that's natural and mm. you know it's just a joke we pass it off however we want but actually someone's on the other end of of those those words and it's yeah. kind of crazy the impact it can have on on someone yeah and as i mean i've like i said don't look in the comment section mm. when you do like I, i've been on the on the receiving end of somebody just unleashing on on the keyboard you know it lands somewhere everything you do lands somewhere and so it's it's a rule that I live by that if you're not willing to say it to their face, just don't say it. You know, if you're willing to say it to their face, all good because there's there's instant repercussions and you can have a con conversation. Um, but hiding behind anonymity and hiding behind the keyboard, it's just it's not the right way. Yeah, yeah. And I can imagine a lot of the emotional and mental um, pain and hurt. There's a lot of you know if you're not really t if you're not thick skinned. And you, you know, you, you stand up and you kind of share your opinion and then mm. someone says, oh man, this is wrong and just ridicules you. It can really kill someone. And um, it's, it's, it's funny. It's funny that you, like you're saying, um, Hads, I've learned now, especially with, with Manda and the podcast, like just, just don't read the comments. Don't read the comments. Some, section, of comments some of those comments can really rip yeah. you up and say, man, some people can can be real cutthroat. AJ, there's some real cutthroat um, yeah. comments out there. And so and the, the, the saddest thing about it is, is that it's, it's coming from our own people. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's the most saddest thing in terms of, you know, instead of lifting each other up, there's a there's a real fine line of, uh, it's like it's it's almost to the point of like we don't really want you to to do that well like there's there's a there's a cap yeah, yeah this is cool you're doing this you're you're part of us but if you go over that that cap it's like oh no 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 you need, need to come back down yeah yeah and so but that's why I, that's why I commend what you, the work you do um Thank you, bro. I love it I, I know you said something along the lines of you you wanting to see our, our people succeed you wanting yeah. to to follow their dreams and their goals. And so right now, in terms of you doing what you're doing in terms of the musical Pacifica, mm. obviously it's one of, one, of the, one of the amazing goal. How was that panning out? How was that like in terms of the choreography? How was that panning out for you? Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's, it came to me at the end of last year um, that there was a director who had gone in and collated 20 of the top Pacific songs to come through the the New Zealand airwaves and he basically collated it in a way that it told a story 
and he's been trying to get this off the ground for for years you know but covid and and other issues have stopped it and so it's it's finally gotten into a space where sorry um that we can put a great cast behind it put it up and and for me that would be when we're talking about like ambition for me that would be amazing you know to be in the civic theater that wasn't meant for us. That wasn't meant for our stories. That's it. This is amazing. And then the director goes, well, actually, my goal is that it's touring countries, that there's three different versions of it, touring countries at the same time, that it's on like a Cirque du Soleil mm. kind of schedule. And I'm like, yo, yes, yes, because that's bigger than what we ever thought. You know, it wasn't until Desire went to the World Hip Hop Championships all the way in LA that we thought, yes. Man, we could do that. We're, we're destined for that. And so for me, this is the same kind of thing. Our stories going out to the world that we're telling Pacifica, not only at the Civic Theatre, but in Hong Kong, in Dubai, in New York, that we make it. Imagine if we make it to Broadway. Imagine a New Zealand Pacific show on Broadway. And why can't we imagine that? And so for me, it's there's, there's a twofold thing, and, and hopefully my director doesn't kill me. Uh, there's a twofold thing. Number one, I want to see that happen because it only takes one person. It only took us, it took Sweden Tower to win the gold medal for everybody else to come through and go, if they could do it, we can do it. And now New Zealand has countless gold medals. Um, but if this Pacifica show can do it, then anyone can do it. You know, We can tell our Pacific stories all over the world. The other part is that I want to learn how this guy does it because this guy's got experience doing this kind of stuff. So I want to learn how he does it. I want to learn the moves that he makes. I want to learn the connections that he has to make and and the, the strategic moves that he has to make so then I can take my shows and do the same thing. Yeah, that's mm. so cool. It's Man. awesome to hear. Like it, it sounds like this guy can play somewhat of a mentor role. And yeah. you've mentioned mentors in the past. Yeah. Um. So it's. Uh, I'm curious about, um, not just the importance of mentors, but what do you think? Sort of, are some of the the key attributes that make a great mentor? Mm. Um, I've been really, really, really lucky to stand on the shoulders of giants. I've been really lucky to to be able to be mentored and role modeled um, through some of the greatest in the creative scene and through the community development scene. People like yourself, uh, people that I've looked up to, and it's like, okay, this is what they're doing. And 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 if I was to go to your question, what are the attributes? The attributes are authenticity. The attributes are community. For me, anyway, community driven. Um, and I think even just those two, we find that really um, evident in our Pacific people because we understand the real meaning of community. We understand the real meaning of authenticity. And so I, I look at, there's so many people that I look up to and, and I've been blessed to be able to journey with these people, but that those are the two things. There's a heart for community and there's a heart and there's an authentic heart behind it. More often than not, it's also um, that they understand the spiritual realm of it as well. I'm, I'm very big in, in the spiritual space and and the people that I look up to, often the pillar of spirituality is is strong as well. Awesome, awesome. Man, awesome, awesome. Hey, obviously you understand the, the premise of, of Mandate is really about encouraging and, and supporting and inspiring men out there. Mm. I'm just wondering also, um, in terms of inspiration, mm. where's, it, where's it all come from? Obviously your faith is, is a big part. But I'm just wanted to, just curious about your dad. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, just the relationship with you and your dad. And man, you know, not not many people ask about my dad. 
but he's the man. He's the man. And um, it's actually really, yeah, my dad is, I, I didn't have much time with my dad growing up uh, because he was working. And it's it's the story, you, we hear the story so much. Yeah. Eh? Uh, my dad would wake up at 5 a.m. every day. He's out the door at 5.30 and then he's home at about 7 or 8, 8 o'clock at night by that time too exhausted to doing things straight to sleep and so I, I my dad for me was this figure that i knew worked his ass off so that i could have a better life and even though i didn't get time with him that set an example of what my vision of what a, a father should do uh i'm saying this like he's not here my dad is still here <laughs> <laughs> No, sorry, sorry, man. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. No, sorry, sorry. But growing up, that that was my relationship with him, and so I didn't have I didn't have much of a relationship with him. Um, for me, it was if Dad had to speak to me, it was discipline. If Dad had to speak to me, there was there was some adjustment that needed to be done, because if there was time that I had to spend with Dad, it was taking it away from him providing. And so that started a really, and, and me and my dad are working through this now. At 35 years old, we, we're only just working through this now. That it started this, the, I had a view of my dad as being disciplined. I had a view of my dad, it, it wasn't necessarily love. It was, this is what needs to be done. And um, then as he became a grandfather, it's like another, another person um another person was kind of introduced and you know he's all lovey-dovey and all of this stuff i'm like uh excuse me yeah. where was that when i was growing up so true, eh? <laughs> and so uh like my wife my wife has only known my dad as this lovey-dovey like, man you're so lucky to have a dad like this was like it's not the dad i, I don't know who this man is <laughs> but my dad has actually uh he's a carpenter and he's a hard worker and he taught me all of my work ethic. Um, but now I'm seeing him transition into um, this God-fearing man who has a heart for the community. He gives up his uh, Thursday nights to run a recovery group for men who are battling with addiction and trauma. Um, he is he's coming to the end of his, uh, I guess, working life. You know, he's getting into retirement now and spending his days helping community. And I'm like, man how lucky am I to have this guy as, as my dad? Because I'm not only, I, I, I've been blessed to be able to learn my work ethic, but now I'm blessed to be able to learn my heart. You know, I, I look at him, this is tough because I haven't, I haven't been man enough to tell him this to his face. So it's probably the first time he's going to hear it if he, if he, yeah, if he listens. Uh, I look at him now as my role model to how to be a husband how to be a father, how to be a community leader, how to be a man uh, when you strip away the bravado and the, the, the toxic masculinity of it, you know? And um, I'm just so lucky that I've able to have these two seasons um, of, the, of, of my father. So I really want to honour him, but not many people ask about my dad. So yeah, thank you. No, all good, all good, <laughs> man. No, 
I can, uh, I can imagine that in terms of your your character and your attributes, it has to come from somewhere. Obviously, your mom as well. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, I was just wondering, oh man, you must have an amazing dad. Yeah, yeah. And so you, you, you do you have an amazing dad, um, Jane? You, nah, I just I feel like a lot of people can kind of relate to the mm. dynamic with your with your father growing up versus them as a grandfather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can relate. So I just wanted to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's funny how relatable it is. So, so true, so true. Where does this person come from? Like, yeah, no man, He's changed the imposter. Yeah, but you're right, man. And um, you know what? Like, it's it's actually been what we're struggling with is what I'm struggling with, and and me and my dad are working through this together. Is that I I, I don't know this person. I don't. I, I admire this person, but I don't know this person. This person isn't my dad. You know, this is a person. This is a role model for me now. But man, I was like, man, I wish I. I wish that this was the dad that I had growing up, but also I wouldn't trade the dad that I had for the world because it taught me the work ethic. It taught me like you do what you need to do to provide. You do what you need to do um, to put a shelter over your head and food on your table. And and as much as I would wish I had this dad back then, I wouldn't trade it for the world. That's cool, man. Out of curiosity, how much of your dad now do you think? Do you think he was always this, like that, but he was just so busy and tired he couldn't really bring that part of himself, or do you think it's something he's learned along the way mm. that life's lessons and perhaps now it's nah, take I a think, different approach to it? I think he has. So the how I said that he works with men in a recovery program. He went through the same recovery program, and so I think it took my dad to be in a space of having to learn a new skill. You only know what you see. And so he only, he was, he modeled his idea of fatherhood of his father. And the stories that I've heard, my grandfather was a tough man. My grandfather got kicked out of Samoa um, and came to New Zealand on a banana boat. And all of that hurt. All of that. We're not Samoans, we're Maoris now. You know, that kind of, don't learn Samoan. Do this, do that, do this. He was he was a bit of a, a stern father. My dad only knew how to be a father of the example that he was set. And so, again, I'm lucky that I have had two versions of my father that I can pick the best of both. It's cool. Mm. Man, I, I can just imagine some of the pressures that um, we face as men. And so I wanted to ask you, in your observation as well, mm. Lamhads, what do you think are some of the societal pressures that we as men are, are facing in this day and age? What do, you, what, do you, what do you see? What are your thoughts? It's a, it's a tough, so I, I'm not a father, you know, I'm not a dad. And I understand that when that happens, there's a, there's a whole nother level, you know. Uh, and, and so I don't want to speak on behalf of all men, but I can only speak on what I've seen. Uh, there is a pressure to provide. There is a massive pressure to provide and the landscape of how to provide has changed. Living costs have gone through the roof. Rent has gone through the roof. Food prices, everything's gone through the roof. And so our pressure to provide, it's getting it's getting tougher, you know. You then put on that for us as Pacific men, you know, we, we're the ones... <sighs> We're overrepresented in the lower paying jobs. And so if our jobs, if even if we're working our ass off from sun up to sundown, we're still not making that amount to provide, 
I can understand why people are turning to other things. I can understand why the gangs are so attractive right now. I can understand why crime is high. I can understand why, uh, I can understand why uh, drug use and alcohol abuse is, is high because there's almost a need for an escape from the pressures of just trying to provide, you know, let alone enjoy life. And I think especially for us as Pacific people, ambition, you provide and then you're allowed to have ambition, but you provide first, which is great. Like, yeah, that's, that's unfortunately though, the environment that we're in providing is so tough, so tough. And again, I'm saying this as someone who's not a father. I'm saying like, it's tough for me to provide just for me and my wife. I can't imagine the pressures that are on our young fathers. I can't imagine the pressures that are on um, our young people who are trying to find, climb the ladder of success, find a career, be a good partner, good husband, and raise kids. And then we, then I'm coming here on a podcast going, oh, you should be ambitious. I understand. I understand it's not the reality for everybody. Um, I wish I wish I had a, a magic wand that could change that. But I think it's it's stuff that we need to be asking questions, not asking, demanding answers for at a government level. Because we, when we're talking about that the, we don't have the same starting line in life as everybody else, that, that, doesn't, that race doesn't get closer as we get older. If anything, the pressures become more and more worse. Wow. Far okay. Man. Man, deep. Uh, just um, the, the, the race of life is just... Yeah, when you put it into that perspective, it's it's kind of crazy to reflect on your own life and see the things you t- you took as just normal. Um, you know, it's just part of life. But I think one of the things that amazes me the most about you is your self awareness and being able to. Half the battle, I feel like, is just getting outside of your own head. You mm. know, there's there's so many ambitions you have, but you you tend to limit yourself out of fear that other people will shoot you down. Mm. So before you give them a chance. I feel like other men can relate. I'd like to think they can relate, but it's something, at least from my personal experience, I find myself shooting myself down yeah. because it'll save me the heartache of putting myself out there and being shot down by others. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, I, I just wanted to comment on how do you find that self-awareness? Is it a journey? Was it a, a huge event? But how, how do you get out of your own thinking? Yeah. Another thing that I've been really, really blessed with is that I have had two goes at this. And so my first kind of time in the in the spotlight was through Sweden Sour. Uh, and that was kind of thrusted upon us. We didn't know what we were setting up to do. We just wanted to go and dance. We didn't realise that we would become an iconic figure. To a, and I know that that might sound cocky, but it's to a lot of people, that was their introduction or that was like, oh, Sweden Sour is it's a big thing for them. And so... We got thrusted into that space. That came to an end. And then, I, I like I said earlier, but I pretty much like, okay, that's my dancing done. And I, I, after a couple of years, I was given another opportunity to have ambition again. The beautiful part about going for a second time is that you can look back and go, what did I stuff up on the first time? And even though you're starting from scratch, and man, it's been... It's taken me 10 years. Like I said, with Sweden Sour, we won the world championship in one year. It's taken me 10 years to rebuild somewhat of the success that we had back then. But I, it's 
it's being able to go to really look at myself in the mirror, look at some of the decisions that I made that first run and realize that a lot of the stuff that uh, held us down, a lot of the stuff that we tripped over was because of me. And so how do we do this again without me getting in the way? And so I've been blessed with a second time round. Um, in saying that, it's been the hardest thing ever to have to rebuild and to have to, you know, I, I go on things and people just want to hear about sweet and sour. I'm like, bro, you know, I've been working on something else for 10 years. <laughs> uh, and it's it's kind of like, it's, it's yeah, it's it's just being able to look back and go, what did I, what did I screw up the first time? And, and yeah, more often than not, the answer was you screwed up. Yeah. You got power hungry. You wanted to be in the spotlight. You wanted to, and it's like, ah, ego, like ego is getting to me, but uh, yeah. Okay. So let's, let's step out of the spotlight this time. Let's put young people in the spotlight. Wow. Yeah. I can, I can imagine that because it might be quite, you know, because you know, you're part of Sweden so on and you're saying you're the CEO of, uh, mm. of this new dance crew, the freshman um, crew. And you're right. I think there's there's a time when you think, "Hey, my dash is done. Yeah. Now it's time to hand over the, the mantle or the or the torch to, to to the younger younger folks." And so I'm just wondering, how did you how did you overcome some of those those thoughts, and how did you come to a place where you said, "You know, I need to those, those internal dilemmas." Yeah. How did you um combat that, and how did you overcome some of those 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 thoughts? Bro, just I've, I don't know how I'm sitting here today. Um, because there were dark times. Those sweet and sour days, as much as they were the greatest times of my life, they were the darkest times as well. It takes you to a place of, when you get thrusted into a space of global recognition, and you haven't, I was only the leader of sweet and sour because I was the oldest. There was no kind of plan that you are the leader, you know. It was just, oh, you're the oldest, then you're, you're going to take care of all of this stuff. And so you're learning along the way. But... There's, it, with that comes a lot of dark times and a lot of just really confronting reflection points where you either run to it or you run away from it. And, and I'm lucky that I, I battled through and was able to stick out some of those some of those really, really dark times. There was times that I didn't think that I'd be around for the next day. There were times that I didn't think, you know, real massive struggles with mental health, real massive struggles with um, even suicide ideation, you know, it's, and this is whilst trying to publicly be a Pacific leader and be out there and, and you know, represent the church and represent all of uh, West Auckland and, and at that time working in South Auckland and trying to be a youth worker and all of this. But then deep down, you're like, bro, you're a fraud. You know, you're just the inner talkings that come out. And so it's, it's only by God's grace that I'm being able to, to have a second run, not just at the entertainment industry, but at life in general that I'm, that I'm still able to stand here. So, uh it, it off going through that journey though going through that journey i can now identify when other people are going through it you know um and i can identify when when young people are like when young people come into our youth center and they there's these these there's an aura about somebody that you know is like they're carrying a lot of stuff and being able to sit with them and walk through that with them or just give them the space and just be in space with them, you know, it's, yeah, you can identify it because you've been through it yourself. Yeah. And what, what are some, some of the, some practical stuff that you could have help, um, like 
like some examples that you've helped some some of the young young guys or even men in, in general um, mm. heads listen yeah listen yeah you don't have to find the answers no one's no one's really coming to you for answers you know if you know if somebody's going through a hard time and just being there being there and just being quiet being there and listening being there and like just knowing that like okay if you if you want to say anything to me you can talk but if you don't want to let's just sit here nice. taking time holding space and understanding that like it's it's not about you it's about them yeah remove yourself from the situation and just be there to serve yeah nice mm. awesome yeah that's deep um the only thing that comes to mind for me um just a sort of contrast with that you yeah. sort of talked about ambition and um, you've talked about really ambitious goals things like touring the world and um sort of being the walt bringing walt disney that sort of big yeah. um, storytelling base for sort of pacifica um is there a you know and you've talked about doing things twice if there was a a third chapter maybe a, a sort of out there one or do you have any ambitions that maybe aren't tied directly to your creative output something really left field that you'd love to try one day yeah yeah oh, i mean the biggest one for me would be to be a dad you know and i know that when fatherhood when my season of fatherhood comes and it will come uh when my season of fatherhood comes it will change everything and i'll probably look back on this podcast going bro this guy's all shit <laughs> <laughs> but for me that is that is the third chapter that is like me being the best two versions of the of the dad that i've been able to grow up to uh to to see um i know that when i become a father that's going to be my life you know um uh, however i've been able to work to a space where my method of providing is creativity which is just like I'm so lucky I'm so I, I do not take my position for granted I do not take my platform for granted the way that I put bread and butter on the table is through creativity is through creating shows is through doing gigs and and being able to come up with creative ideas and so it's it's just being God kind of orchestrating the whole way that uh, I don't have to give up one to do the other um, that I, I, I get to provide for this one by doing this one which is beautiful something that's far left field man I'd love to work for Marvel. Uh, I would love to, <laughs> I, would, nice. I, I actually, it's not really left field, but I don't have a qualification. Um, I've no, I've no qualification from, I've dropped out of uni like three times. I don't have NCEA. And so I would, I'd really love to um, get a piece of paper behind me and yeah, do something on, on that side. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Mm. What, what, what do you mean by Marvel? You mean like directing one of the Marvel? Yeah, why not? Movies? Eh? Yeah, why not, bro? Like, that would be dope. Like, surely there's, surely in the Marvel universe, there's a Samoan superhero somewhere, eh? Or if not, bro, let's create there, there one. Is, there yeah, is, there is yeah. one. There, I think there is a Samoan superhero. I've, I've got his, I've got his name, but there, there is one. But I'll, I'll look it up for you. Um, yeah, yeah. There's one, you know, yeah. there's. I, I like. I like companies that dream big. And so I look at the Disney's and I look at the Marvels, I'm a massive fan of WWE. Like I think like there's these big entertainment entities that I'm like, bro, I want to work for you because I want to learn how you do it and then do it in New Zealand. I want to learn how you do it and then do it in Kelston, <laughs> do it in Otara, do it in Papatoitoi, you know, because we're allowed to have those conversations as well. Bro, that's awesome. And I totally get what you're saying. I think you said earlier on about ownership 
And imagine if our Pacific people and our Māori people were just able to own some of these entities and just hard, amazing, amazing. Oh man, just, oh, man, just so many gold nuggets has. <laughs> so many gold nuggets also, man. Uh, any, any last words, um, Jay, you, you want to share or any other questions? Or? Just thank you for the time, for the honesty and authenticity oh. which you talked about. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, just really grateful for sharing the journey. And it's it's awesome for us, for me and my brother, because we we loved watching SAS. And oh. I remember you guys were on America's Best Dance Crew. Yeah, there was yeah. a special that you guys did. And we were just like, man, even now, like before I came, my wife was like, hey, remember remember the mix from, uh, from, the, from the year? So like, honestly, there's, there's a generation of us that are like, you know, you got served, you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. So just throwbacks. And so it's awesome to, to meet the man behind it. But also just to see the growth and the struggle. I think it's really important to acknowledge the struggle. So yeah. I'm really glad you're able to shed some light on that. Um, and so thank you so much for the wisdom and the nuggets, man. It's, All good, it's man. been an honor. So yeah, thank you. No worries. Oh man, Hads, thank you so much. Also, All good. It is, it's been good to catch up again and see what you're doing and, and obviously hear what you're doing. And then just, um, I think that, I think it was last week or the week before about Pacifica, the musical, I said, man, they, that man, that guy is still going. He's still doing some amazing <laughs> things, and it's amazing that you're accomplishing amazing feats, but also just continuing. And so, for you, had just one more question. Yeah, all good. In terms of all the success and all the great things you've done, mm. which one out of all that that's that accomplishment, which one has, has been the highlight for you? The one that's the number one, like man, that's that's just been amazing. Ah, oh, bro, it's hard, eh? It's hard. There's I mean, the, the, the world championships and all of that, that's really cool. Touring is really cool. But I, I tell you what, and I know this this might not be the biggest thing for, for people, but every month, every month I get to pay dancers. No. You know? Every month I put money into dancers' accounts. And that was impossible 15 years ago. Dancing was a hobby that you gave up uh, when you became an adult. And now we've got... We've got a whole bunch of dancers who are getting paid to do what they do. They put they put bread and butter on the table from dancing. Man. And so for me to be able to do that, and I mean, we're only at the first step. We want to get to a space where we are, uh, where dance, bro, dancing, is, New Zealand's the best in the world at dancing. So how come we don't have the salaries of the All Blacks who are also the best in the world at what they're doing, depending on the season? <laughs> <laughs> true. But what, how true. come we can't? You know, and so again, that might be just the ambition coming out. But I've gone, I've gone around the world and seen people from the bottom of the world to the top of the world fall in love with New Zealand dancing. So why is it still that we can go and travel the world, come back and then go and work at BP? You know, we go and travel the world, come back and go and work at JJ's. Go and we're doing these other jobs. This should be your job. You should be contracted just like a professional athlete. And so when you say what is your biggest, at the moment for me is that payday is when, when we can go and, and put money, good money too, into dancers' pockets, young dancers' pockets. I want to, when a, when a young person's coming up through high school and they, they go to the careers person and they say, I want to be a dancer, I don't want the careers person to laugh. And say, now nah, you have to come up with a real job. I want this to be a real job. And so to be able to do that for the people that I do it for, that's that's a, a massive kind of accomplishment for me.
Bro, that's so powerful. Mm. So, man, awesome. thank you so much. Been a broad blessing. Yeah. Uh, and hey, just just before we um, ask you one last thing, because yeah. is, is, is there anyone ideal that you could you th- could think of that could be a you know be a good person to come on the, the podcast? Yeah, man. Yeah, there's when I say like I stand on the shoulders of giants. There is uh, Sally Pyre. Sally Pyre is the godfather of New Zealand youth work. I don't care what anyone says. He's the godfather. He's the one who who started it. Um, and I, I definitely I have to shout out to the brothers no longer with us, but Alan Vata as well. Mm. Um, Alan, BP, the greatest youth worker that New Zealand's ever seen. Um, but definitely Sally needs to be here. Rob Luisi from out west, he needs to be here. Uh, and then there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of dancers or creatives that I, I think are the goats. Justin Hayu and um, Alistair Ngawati Salaival. Those guys are, man, they awesome. should be here. Awesome, awesome, man. Appreciate that. And as always, we always have a gift for our guests. Oh, right. And so, heads, <laughs> hey, this is from the the mad, uh, sorry, this is from the mandate team. Yo. It's for you. Oh, thank, thank you, you so much. Oh, brother, the rumors are true. I hear it on your podcast, but you made me look skinny. Thank you, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, man. This is you, you, you. You'll thank slip you, brother. In the, pick the days in, <laughs> but hey, thank you so much. But any any last words, um, Hans? You want words of encouragement for our, for our men out there? Yeah, um, man, don't be afraid to dream big. Don't be afraid to dream big. Um, I I understand the pressures that that society put on us. I understand the pressures that that we are born into. Um, but if you dream big, we get to we we all rise together. Yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And please like, uh, subscribe, and please comment. We'd be cool to hear your, your comments. But as, as always, a, um, Jay, our mentor. Our mentor is Refine. Unlock and take, take charge. charge. Mandate.